Hey, Doug, you want to hear a joke? Sure, Lou. Knock, knock. Who's there? Ach. Achu. Bless you. You know what? When you said you wanted to do a joke as the intro, I really thought you were going to come up with something better than that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of The Yes Men. I am Lou DiPietro. To my left, as always, my co-host, Doug Williams. Uh, so, un, uh, unoriginal intro aside... Yeah, lack, of, lack of creativity today. Sorry about that, everybody. There's actually a lot to talk about uh, in Yankee land. Uh, first and foremost, obviously, the acquisition on Tuesday of Chase Headley, a name who Yankee fans have been hearing and or putting into trade rumors with the Yankees since 2012... It seems he is finally in pinstripes acquired from San Diego on Tuesday for Jan Hervis Solarte and Rafael De Paula. And uh, he came through in his debut with the walk-off hit to give the Yankees a 14 inning win over the Rangers. Yeah. Uh, it was a good story. Um, the fact that he shows up after thinking he was going to play against the Cubs at Wrigley, at Wrigley with the Padres you know, then flies and, and meets his, his teammates in the dugout. It, you know, it's incredible. He has the walk-off hit, and he's, Paul O'Neill made the comment that people were smacking him on the head, congratulating him, who didn't even know him. Yeah. Um, Way to go, whatever your name is, yes. as Tom Hanks said in uh, League of Their Own. Yeah, so it was a good thing. And, and you know what? This trade, uh, you know, people, Yankee fans out there uh, are really, really wrong when it comes to – uh, young Harris Solarde's worth. And as big of a fan as I've been of Solarde, I actually had a few of my Twitter followers go back. I don't know how they did this. Go back and found a tweet of mine on May 15th where I was saying Solarde is an all-star as of right now. As of right then, he was. Right. Yeah. And people were retweeting it yesterday. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Um, so well done, whoever that was. But, um, I, you know, the Solarde is a scrap heap guy. He's a guy that the Yankees were lucky to get anything out of. He kept them alive in April and into May. But you basically it's it's like getting something for free uh, at a store or getting something for free and then being able to sell it. That's exactly mm-hmm. what this is. It's like you didn't think you were going to get anything out of this guy. If you had released him after spring training, no one would have batted an eye. Right. But now you can bring back Chase Headley, who had 30 home runs and 110 RBIs two years ago. Right. And, and Brian Cashman almost said as much in his press conference at the stadium yesterday. He said, you know, Solarte was a minor league free agent. There was a lot of competition for him, and he's glad that Solarte chose the Yankees because his exact phrase was he saved our bacon a lot early on. And he did. I mean, he's a 27-year-old rookie who had umpteen million plate appearances in the minors without sniffing the majors. And for the first six weeks of the season, he was arguably the Yankees' best hitter. He went into the tank a little bit. He struggled. His average was down in the mid-100s in in June, and then he got sent down before Beltran uh, got hurt, and he came back up. But he was was an all-star when you made that tweet in mid-May. And to turn a guy like that who has a ceiling, for lack of a better way to put it, he has a ceiling of being a utility guy, fringe starter on on a tough team, into half a season of a guy who two years ago was an MVP candidate and led the National League in RBIs, regardless of what Headley's numbers say since then, that's a coup. And to give up another guy like Rafael DePaula, who, you know, was a highly touted prospect, but visa issues and all kinds of identity issues and everything kind of stemmed his development, kept him from coming over to the States until last year. He looked really good at low A, 
not so good at high A. People start to question his, you know, his stuff, his repertoire. Is he a starter? Does he have this, that? To turn those two guys into Chase Headley for two and a half months, who will solidify the third base spot, that's huge. That's yeah. a that's a that's a major coup. Totally agree with the last thing you said. It's so important that they solidified the position because you know sometimes platoons work, but most of the time they work when you have a righty and a lefty that are both very good and very consistent. Right. That was never the case with the Yankees. They they knew that it was going to be a mixture of guys, but now to have a guy who's a switch hitter with power who can play third base every day, and let's be honest, the Yankees organization and Brian Cashman and Joe Girardi have been so good at catching lightning in a bottle in the past few years. Think about Raul Abanez. Think about Bartolo Colon. Think about Freddy Garcia. Eric Chavez. Eric Chavez. They have earned millions of dollars in contracts from other teams after the Yankees gave them an opportunity. Right. And it's a great thing for these guys' careers, and a lot of times it turns out to be a great thing for the Yankees. Imagine yep. playing in Petco Park in front of 15,000 fans a night in the basement of the NL West for as many years as Chase Hetley was. And now imagine playing in Yankee Stadium in pinstripes in a pennant race in the AL East. It's a totally different thing. So yep. if you don't think that that change of scenery is going to affect Chase Headley, then you're just not looking at it right. And I won't call Chase Headley a veteran because he's 27 or whatever. He's 30. Is he 30? Okay. He's been in the majors for five, six years. But look what the Yankees have gotten the last two years out of a veteran. I won't say slugger either because I'm going to mention Ichiro. But a veteran, consistent guy. They got Ichiro two years ago who was having a down year in Seattle. And he came here and he was on fire for two and a half months. They got Alfonso Soriano, who was having a decent season, but not quite an Alfonso Soriano of old season in Chicago last year. And he hit 17 home runs and drove in 50 runs in two and a half months. Third time the charm. Will Chase Headley do the same? I know he's only got a handful of home runs. Will he hit some? Will he get some Yankee Stadium power in the next two months and jack that total up to maybe 20? Yeah, and I love everything I've heard from the guy. I mean, last night in his interview after the the walk-off hit with Meredith Morakovitz, he just said... I, and I love when players do this. I am here to. I'm excited to do my job, and I'm excited to be a part of this organization. And that, more than anything, is all that Chase Headley needs to do: do his job, mm-hmm. give the Yankees the numbers that he's given in 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 San Diego. And last year, 15 home runs, 70 RBIs. That's not bad. That's better production than they were going to get in the first place. Yep. And I think, to be honest, Lou, going back to Solarte for a second. I think a lot of what's happened is there are fringe Yankee fans who have opinions, and that's okay. You're allowed to. And I think a lot of them thought Solarte was a young prospect who had come up and done well and was a young guy and who they were building up. That wasn't the case at all. Not at all, no. Even though he's 27 and he's younger than Headley, he's way past that point of being a prospect. He's a minor league veteran. He's he's a major league rookie. 27 is about where a lot of people think guys hit their prime. So, I mean, that's – it's. And Cashman even said in that press conference yesterday, he's like, you never know what's going to happen. He came up, he was on fire. The market corrected a little bit to Solarte, which why why he struggled the next six weeks after that first initial burst. But, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And for a team like the Padres, I, I almost want to say Solarte is a perfect kind of player for them to get back in that deal. He's shown he's capable at third base, even though he played a lot more second in the minors. But he can play second as well, play a little bit of shortstop. But you know he's not; it's not necessarily his his bread and butter there. But for a team like the Padres, that's rebuilding almost perpetually, it seems that can now control a guy who's got 
five years of service time, like five years of team control, two more options if they want to send him down to the minor leagues because he had never been on a 40-man roster before this year, so he's got all of his minor league options. This is a guy they can keep around on their team until he's in his mid to late 30s for little to no money, most likely, who can fill in everywhere. In the National League, for a team like that that's kind of rebuilding and moving parts and things like that, that's a huge asset. As much as he may not be Chase Headley or you know even insert replacement player here, that's a huge asset for a team like the Padres. And we've seen the kind of hitter he can be when he's confidently yep. swinging the bat mm-hmm. and when he's hot. And, you know, he showed power. And he had 30 RBIs on the Yankees almost before anyone anyone else on that team did. And being a switch hitter helps that, too. Exactly. I, I did not mention that. But being a switch hitter helps immensely he's as well. He's a very versatile player both in the field and at the plate. Being a guy that can play multiple positions and hit from both sides of the dish, I, I don't think it's a huge loss for the Yankees because they have a lot of guys in their organization and on their team, well, I mean, with Scott Sizemore and Kelly Johnson on the DL, that kind of negates what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But those two guys can play both second, third, first a little bit. You have Zealous Wheeler who can play all around the infield. The Yankees were looking at Solarte as kind of a guy that when those, you know, when Sizemore gets back, he's easily replaceable. Next year, even with Derek Jeter retiring, next year Solarte's role is most likely utility guy. That's That's what he would have been here. He would have been Jason Nix. With a little bit more power and you know a switch hitting more powerful Jason Nix, right? So to be able to turn him into even half a season of Chase Headley, that's selling high, and that's a great job by Cashman. But on the other hand, like I said, he's also a great asset for a team like the Padres. It's it's a very good fit. So the Yankees made a few roster moves today, Lou, and I know yep. you and I wanted to touch on those. Um, I was going to say that Chase Headley can also he's also played two innings career at first base, which might be pretty important this week yeah the Yankees really don't have a backup first baseman Mark Teixeira is hurt we were both kind of surprised that they called up a pitcher today yeah um, to replace Kelly Johnson who's on the 15-day DL with a strained groin one of their roster suffered moves. last night in the uh, 10th inning I don't think there's that much to this Lou and you might want to you know talk about this more than I would but I, I think they're going to call up Zolo tomorrow well you and I were discussing this earlier this afternoon and, and we both came to the conclusion that we had different opinions as to why my thought is or was I should say because as I've thought about it more I kind of maybe see where they're going the Yankees brought up Chris LaRue because everyone pitched in the bullpen last night in that 14 inning game Jeff Francis I mean he pitched one inning and he hadn't pitched since July 3rd so I'm not gonna guess he's not fresh Uh, he could probably go a few innings tonight if needed but everybody's pitched. The bullpen has already pitched 19 and a third innings in five games. And I know eight of that was last night, four of which were – five of which actually were extra innings. Um, but still, the bullpen's already a little little heavy workload. The more I think about it now, as shocked as I was that they haven't called up somebody that can either play first base or the outfield, one or the other, the more I think about it now is, all right, it's gonna, probably going to be one of those situations where LaRue is here for a couple days to get the bullpen back in order, maybe take one for the team. they got a day game tomorrow after a night game tonight, so maybe he's here for a couple days to take one for the team. And if is not back on Friday, it'll have been four days. Maybe the Yankees say, you know what, we're going to put him on the DL, and that's when they call up whether it's Zoilo to play the outfield, whether they you know make a move to, to purchase a contract, so to speak, and bring up a guy like Kyle Roller or somebody else who can play first base. That could be the move there. Scott Sizemore is on the disabled list uh, at AAA as of today. He was on the inactive list. Now he's on the disabled list. I don't know what 
the issue is there, but he, he went from the inactive to the DL yesterday in down in Scranton. Maybe that's the move. Maybe it's let's see if we can get Tex back in a couple days and we'll you know, we'll use McCann and Cervelli at first. We'll have one catch and one play first tonight and then flip flop them tomorrow for the day game. The more and more I think about it, the more and more it seems like that's going to be what Joe Girardi says is the idea. But I'm a little surprised they're going with a two-man bench, period. Yeah, and I think it would be different if the two guys they didn't have on the bench weren't as versatile as they are. I mean, Zellis yeah. Wheeler can play the outfield and the infield. Brandon Ryan can play you know, yeah. all around the infield. It's a shorthanded team, but they're waiting for Mark Desher to come back. Once he does, it'll, he'll solve a lot of these problems. The Yankees really rely on Desher to play every day. Right. They don't have a backup first baseman. They don't have a Lyle Overbay waiting and, and, and a guy that can play. Or even a Nick Swisher, a right. guy who can, who's an outfield, got it. Yeah. yeah. Like, they don't have anybody like him. And uh, I am with you because the bullpen had the all-star break. And it's not like it went to the 17th inning and there were guys throwing four innings yeah. and throwing 45 pitches that aren't normally used to it. It was a normal night. Just yeah. everyone pitched. Yeah, Thornton faced one batter. Warren pitched two-thirds of an inning. Robertson went two innings, but he didn't really work to – I mean, he might have thrown 30 pitches. But, you know, so he's off tonight. We, got some, uh, we got some news here. We have some news. Uh, Brian McCann playing first again. Again. Chase Headley, third base. Uh, looks like he's batting sixth. And Brendan Ryan is in the lineup at second base. Very interesting. Wow. Hmm. That's another topic I'm going to touch on at some point in this podcast is second base, but that's in, that's interesting. Um, maybe, again, like I said, maybe tomorrow McCann catches and Cervelli plays first, or Zealous Wheeler gets a shot at first. It's a day game. And against Texas, a team that, you know, they got one run in 13 innings last, last night, and then they got, what, four runs the other night on a game where the Yankees had five errors. Not the most offensively productive team right now. You're facing you Darvish tonight. You've got to figure it's going to be another close game. Maybe this is the time to say, you know what, let's go with these guys and we'll worry about it on Friday when Toronto gets here. A lot of times, uh, myself included, people look at Girardi's lineups and shake their head because he tinkers a lot. He's a mad scientist at times. And it drives Yankees fans crazy. Brendan Ryan playing second base tonight would be an example of me wondering what the heck he's thinking because – Brendan Ryan's a right-handed hitter and a weak one, and they're facing you, Darvish. Who's a three-time All-Star pitcher who's one of the elite pitchers in the league. Yeah, so why wouldn't you have the lefty switch hitter, Brian Roberts, who's actually been hitting decently well of late, play? I'll answer that question. I'm going to make one point on first base. I wonder if Carlos Beltran is an option. I know he can't throw. His arm, he's sort of been on a throwing program, then was stopped. I know his elbow's messed up, but I wonder if he's an option in an emergency at first base. He did play the the game there, the, the game that Cervelli went out with his strained hamstring back in April when Teixeira was on the DL. I wonder if he's an option there. Maybe we'll see. As for why you wouldn't have the switch hitting Brian Roberts in there against you, Darvish, I wouldn't have Brian Roberts in there at all, quite frankly, to, to make as controversial a statement as you'll, as you'll hear me make on this podcast. That's one lightning rod topic for Yankees fans is a lot of people are unhappy with Brian Roberts, and I can't disagree with him. I, I looked up some stats, which is my want. As you know, I'm the, the numbers nerd. There's 11 qualifiers 
for the batting title among second basemen in the American League. Brian Roberts has the most errors of any second baseman in the American League, including a couple of egregious ones over the last few days. He's ninth out of 11 in batting average, ahead of only Brian Dozier, who's got, what, 20 home runs? And Gordon Beckham, who is Gordon Beckham. He's last in RBIs. He has 20 RBI, a function of him hitting ninth a lot, yes, but he has hit fifth at times, so that's a little worrisome. And of those 11 guys, he's uh, tied for seventh in home runs, and the three guys behind him are Jose Altuve, who's hitting three thirty-eight with 40 steals, Dustin Pedroia, who's Dustin Pedroia, and Howie Kendrick, who's hitting two ninety-three. Right, so, so he is, by, by the numbers, the worst second baseman in the American League. Yeah, he's the kind of guy that a pennant caliber team would not have as a starter. No. At this point, no. I mean, he's the nicest guy in the world and has been since he got here. At this point, he's, he's not doing his job. I yeah. mean, that's just, that's just what the numbers say is that he's not doing a good job. He was doing so poorly early that the fact that he's in the 250 range now has people talking about how hot of a hitter he is. But the thing is, Lou, it's a little bit like last year. I remember at the trade deadline, uh, we were talking about how, how many holes the Yankees team had and what they should go out and do and what holes they needed to fill. And at certain points, you don't stop when you're talking about them. You're like, well, they could use a second baseman. They could use another reliever. They could use – the Yankees could use a lot of things. But I don't think this is going to be a position where the Yankees upgrade. I think if they do mm-hmm. upgrade via the trade, I'd be shocked. I think they'll just call up Rob Refsnyder. I think that's yeah. the one change they would make at that position. Now, see, here's the thing that gets weird about this is that Cashman has mentioned Rob Refsnyder on multiple occasions. And he even said yesterday he did an interview. He was on Francesa. Yesterday afternoon after all the press conference stuff that happened, I happened to be driving home and listening to it. And he said that, again, that his preference is to let Ref Snyder play the year in AAA, continue to get better, you know, at second base, this, that, the other thing. Understandable, especially since Ref Snyder does not need to be Rule 5 protected, so we could spend a whole nother year in AAA before the Yankees have to worry about, all right, got to put him on the roster at least. The, the problem becomes now at this point, after watching Brian Roberts drop a double play ball, the other night, after watching him, you know, boot one on Sunday, after watching him now take the lead in errors at second base and be, again, as the numbers say, probably the worst overall second baseman in the in the majors or at least in the American League. At what point does it become Rob Refsnyder is not better, or somebody Jose Perella anybody is not better? What point does it become? Well, they can't be worse. Because, you know, you hear that phrase addition by subtraction and you talk about incremental upgrades and this and that. Where does it flip over to, well, can he be worse? Because if it flips to the point where it's can he be worse, then it needs to change. That, that's just a fact of life. Anytime a situation goes from how can we make this better to could this get any worse, that's when a change needs to be made. Right. I think that's a good point. I, my vote, and Yankee fans hate this guy. I don't know why. He's a nice guy, like I said. Well, no, I'm actually not talking about Brian Roberts. Oh. I think Kelly Johnson would bring more to the table as a starting second baseman than Brian Roberts would. Brian Roberts is not stealing bases. He's not hitting home runs. Right. He's not great with the glove. Kelly Johnson will hit home runs if he plays every day. Right. He brings more to the table. And when he comes back, it's an option that's worth exploring. And I think between the fact that they have Kelly Johnson waiting and between the fact that Rob Refsnyder is an option, I don't think this is a place the Yankees will upgrade. But 
I, I agree with you. I mean, I, Brian Roberts, at least at the beginning of the season, we looked at him as a possibility of a, a speed guy, a guy who could maybe have some power at Yankee Stadium. If he can hit 290 or 300, he bails out the rest of his game. It's so easy to do, like the guys who are behind him, like right. Dustin Medroya, um, right. like Jose Altuve. You don't have to hit home runs. You can hit 330. That's fine. But Brian Roberts isn't doing anything right now of value. Right. And when Kelly Johnson comes back, you got to look at, you know, you're looking at where the team is in terms of, of the roster. You know Cervelli is going to be the backup catcher. You know Brendan Ryan's going to be there as basically Derek Jeter's caddy, which is what he's been this year. You know that they're going to have somebody there that can play the outfield, whether it's Johnson, whether it's Zealous Wheeler, who's played right field a little bit. Brian Roberts is the one guy on the team right now who's really, outside of Derek Jeter, is really a one-position player. Carlos Beltran, I guess, counts because he can only DH because of his elbow. But even Cervelli and McCann have learned how to play first base. He's really the one guy on the team right now that's a one-position player. And, and, we, he's, and he's the worst at that position in the American League. And you may have thought that Brendan Ryan was one, but he's playing second base tonight. He's playing second base. He's played a little bit of first. Yeah. Again, you need a backup shortstop, especially when your shortstop, even as great as Derek Jeter is, is a 40-year-old man coming off an ankle injury who needs a day off now and then. You need a true backup shortstop. That's what Brendan Ryan's job is. He knows it. But he's playing second tonight and has a few times. He's played first base. That that leaves, I mean, it's, it's Roberts or Zealous Wheeler, really, you would think, when everybody's healthy. And Zealous, as much as he's not going to play third base because Chase Headley is here, can play right field. Maybe he can play second base. Maybe you call up a guy like Perella or F. Snyder. Who knows? All right. So, Lou, let's let's get away from dissecting the roster uh, as it is now for a second. Uh, let's talk about some trade deadline stuff um, going into it. Uh, trade deadline is next week. Next Thursday. So we'll have a show for it next week. I think we yeah. can dedicate that as the trade deadline special. And we'll also be live blogging. In some form. In some form. The trade yeah. deadline, you and I, together. Right. Uh, on yesnetwork.com. Um, details TBD. So one thing that we were talking about, now that the Chase Headley move has been made, and um, it's in very typical Brian Cashman fashion in the fact that it's happening the week kind of before the trade deadline, he likes to pounce. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times he won't wait till the last minute. Mm-hmm. But – one trade that I'm thinking I, I really believe is going to happen, and, and this is something that I have no inside info about, and it's something that I told you about earlier. Um, Cliff Lee had kind of a showcase start. Um, I believe it was on Monday. I would use another word that begins with SH to describe it, but okay, <laughs> a showcase start. And he gave up, like, a ton of hits. Uh, I'm not a stats guy. He gave up a ton of hits. 12, something like that. And he was, was throwing 89-90. He was not impressive. But uh, here's the thing. The Phillies must have been watching that start thinking this is not good. No. The Phillies wanted him to go out there and throw nine shutout innings, throwing 92-93, typical Cliff Lee fashion, because they know, I think, at this point, they know they're going to trade him. They, they wanted that, and they would have taken replacement level starting, I think, as yes. opposed to what he gave them. So I really think that the, the Yankees are going to dissect the Phillies roster – they're going to look at a guy like John Mayberry Jr. Realize he fits their team perfectly. Right-handed hitting guy that can play right field and play first base. And they're going to look at the market because Cliff Lee, when it gets to the 31st, and Ruben Amaro is going to look at his options and say, I really need to trade this guy. I really want to get rid of this salary. 
and I think the market, the the value of Cliff Lee is going to go down, and the Yankees may pounce, get both of those guys, fill two needs, and even though Cliff Lee, you're getting him for all the wrong reasons, you're getting him for the fact that he's going to cost you less because he's not the pitcher he once was. Right. It's the same thing as Chase Headley. Can you get lightning in a bottle? It's a guy with a ton of postseason experience, a guy who's killed the Yankees in the past, and at the very least. You know he's got ace potential, and he's a name, and he's a guy who's been there before. I think it, it makes a ton of sense. It would yep. make Yankee fans, those fringe Yankee fans who know absolutely nothing about to, who to trade for and who not to, <laughs> make them really happy. It would. Here's my thought on this, and I've had discussions on this with uh, with other people as well. From you know, from insiders, quote unquote, to you know, people who are just fans who I interact with. Cliff Lee is owed a lot of money over the next two years. Between the remainder of this year's contract, next year's contract, and his option for 2016 has like a $12.5 million buyout. He's owed close to $50 million between now and January 1st, 2016. The Phillies would absolutely have to eat some of that. I would say probably $12.5 million. They would probably have to eat at least the money for that option so that if the Yankees decline it, that's paid for the other thing that worries me is he is in his 30s. He is coming off a major injury. He's had a history of some of those issues before. He doesn't necessarily seem to like New York too much. I don't know. I don't know if that's the kind of guy you want to add with all the as as much as he can give you and as much as you hope he can give you. I I still think even with all that the Phillies are going to command a price even with Mayberry. The Phillies are going to command a price that when you look at the risk versus reward might not be too close to the reward side or close enough to the reward side to, to go for it. Well, let's think about I'm a this little, little, I'm a little gun shy. Here's, here's how I'm thinking about it. They play, they're playing the Texas Rangers right now. And even if you Darvish, especially with the way that the Yankees offense has been sputtering, if he gives up two runs tonight, the Yankees still might win because the Rangers offense is very anemic and they're, they're so hurt. We were joking the other night in the press box that if you put their coaching staff in the lineup, four through nine, Instead of the guys they actually had, they might be better. <laughs> That's how anemic their offense is. And they got some pretty good – I mean, Gary Pettis and Dave Magadan were some pretty good hitters in their day. But right. anyway, go ahead. So it's a four-game series. They got two games left against the Rangers. Mm-hmm. Then they played the Toronto Blue Jays, who are also banged up. Their yep. lineup's nowhere close to where it's been. That's missing, at home. Missing two of their middle-order hitters. So that's five games there. I think the Yankees will potentially win four of them. And need to. Yeah. So if the Yankees win four of those five, that would mean that they're what uh, eight and two uh, since the All Star break. Yeah, they're they're four and one so far in this homestand. So if they win four out of these last five, that's yeah eight and two. So if the Yankees go eight and two after the All Star break and they look good, I mean the Yankees' starting pitching has been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But Brian Cashman's going to look at this rotation and say, I can't compete in October without a number one guy. Right. Here's two thing, three things about that, actually. Oh, boy. Number one is, publicly at least, it seems like they're holding out hope for Masahiro Tanaka to come back at some point. I have my theory about it. I'm not going to share it here. I've shared it with you, I think. Um, I'm not going to share that because I'm going to be optimistic and hold out hope that he's going to pitch this season. I don't think so. But I'm going to hold out hope. Pineda is by all means of you know what you hear making good progress down in Florida if he comes back in mid to late August and can be even the guy he was in April 
that's a huge upgrade. That's a guy that had a two ERA in four starts. That's true, but he's not um, a number one guy. Not a number one guy, but he's a, he's a horse. And you won't have to worry about his innings limit because if he comes back in mid to late August, he's going to get six, seven, eight starts. Even at eight innings apiece, he's not going to pitch more than 50, 60 innings plus the postseason. So he's, gonna, he's got enough mileage on his arm should he stay healthy to be a consideration. The third thing is that something is going to happen either internally or at a, you know within a trade just because Chase Whitley is now four innings away from hitting his career high. After going six innings last night, he's at 85 innings, or 87 innings, I'm sorry. 91 is his career high. You don't really want to push a guy more than 20, 25 innings more than he went the year before. That's kind of like conventional wisdom. You know, the Phillies did it with Cole Hamels the year they won the World Series, but they, you know, they had to. So even if you figure he's got 30 innings left, based on a start like last night, that's five starts. That's not going to get you through mid-August. Maybe to, when Pineda comes back and he replaces him, but you can you take that chance? Or do you look to make a, as Cashman calls it, incremental upgrade, send Whitley either down to the minors or to the bullpen where you can keep his innings load. You know, they can pull a Banuelos with him and go, you're going to AAA and you're going to pitch four innings per start for the next month. And then we're going to bring you back in September to be part of the bullpen. And that's his like role. But some, I think something's going to happen because they have that. They have uncertainty with Tanaka, and I mean Shane Green is a rookie. He's not going to pitch. As, he's pitched great, but you can't extrapolate that out over the next eight starts. You're going to need out of him. Yeah, I think Whitley would be the first one to go. Mm-mm. I think they'll acquire somebody before Pineda comes back. Yeah. So whether it's an ace or another incremental upgrade, I think Whitley will be out, and whoever that will be will be in. And I think after that, you remove Shane Green. I think you have yeah. to. Uh, he's the only rookie left. David yeah. Phelps has been really consistent and really good, to be honest yeah. with you. And Corona and McCarthy are right. not going are veterans. anywhere. They're yeah. not going, They're not going anywhere. anywhere. So I think when I when – mm-hmm. I, Brian Cashman is such a smart guy. He's been – he's won World Series. He's, he's been in the playoff for years upon years upon years. Mm-hmm. He watched the Yankees defeat the Baltimore Orioles two years ago. And he realizes that – you can't win in the playoffs without a number one guy to compete with the other team's number one guy. I sat there in the press box and watched CC Sabathia throw a complete game in game five of the ALDS. He shut them down. Game five, game one. So how is is Brian Cashman going to look at the market and say, there's a number one guy who's available. I'm going to have to mm-hmm. really pry him away yep. from the Phillies. He may not love New York. He may cost us a little bit. But in order for us to compete, I don't know what Tanaka is going to do. But in order for us to compete in October, you win with Verlander and Scherzer. You win with Lester and Buckholtz. That's the way it works. You, you win with Adam Wainwright. You right. win with Cliff Lee. You win with Hugh Darvish. At you a certain win with point, insert player here. It stops mattering about the depth of your rotation. It yeah. stops mattering about the stats of your starting rotation as a whole. All that matters is really a one and two guy because in a five game series, it's debilitating if they're dominant. You were. In college, I think, probably when the Yankees won the World Series in 2009, correct? Yeah, I was a you, freshman. You do remember that they won the World Series with three starting pitchers. It was Burnett, Sabathia, and Andy Pettit. Mm-hmm. Do, you, does, do you even remember who the number four and five starters were on that team? Uh, give me a second. Mm. Obviously, they didn't need them or use them in the postseason. But do you remember who they were even? Phil Hughes was in the bullpen. Phil Hughes was in the bullpen because he was the fifth starter for a little while when somebody was hurt. 
Was Jabba a starter? Jabba was the number four starter on that team. Okay. That's pretty good. And Phil Hughes. Chin Ming Wong was the guy he replaced. Right. And there was flux in the fifth spot. Chad Godin got a starter, too. It was kind of a mess. So you can win with one guy in good depth. You can win with two or three horses. You can't win with neither. Right. Because even if you look at the teams, like I said, you win with a Cliff Lee and a U Darvish. But Texas has had a pretty young rotation over the last few years beyond them. You look at the Cardinals, who had Adam Wainwright, Shelby Miller, Michael Waka. All these guys are young. They still made it to the World Series. Boston had a four, you know, four ace rotation last year. I mean, and they pitched like it. Uh, unlike this year, where PV looks like a joker more than an ace. You can win with that kind of like young depth, unproven. If you have that one guy, and the Red Sox went out and they clobbered Adam Wainwright in Game One of the World Series, and they went on to win it. Unfortunate, but you still need that Adam Wainwright to go up there against John Lester or John Lackey and say, boom, this is our horse. This is our guy. As it's constructed right now, who is that guy? Is it Hiroki Kuroda? Is it Brandon McCarthy? Exactly. Both very good pitchers, but... uh... And again, I don't know if it's going to be Cliff Lee. I mean, people are talking about David Price. I don't know who's available, and I don't know who the Yankees may get. But if Brian Cashman does trade for someone, it's for the exact same reason that he signed Masahiro Tanaka. Aces don't grow on trees. If there are some available, you have to do whatever you can to get them. Right. Prospects are called prospects for a reason. Sometimes they don't pan mm-hmm. out. Yep. And look, there are it's really you split the bill on this because a lot of Yankee fans are like more youth leaving and old guys coming, injury prone guys coming. I get that. But you win championships with aces. If the Yankees hadn't signed Masir Tanaka, you still thought they had an okay rotation. But it's all about depth. If you sign an ace right now, and somehow Masahiro Tanaka rehabs and comes back, and somehow uh, the same thing happens with Pineda, then you've built depth for yourself. Yep. And that's what, what Brian Cashman has realized is so important with the fact that Ivan Nova went down and, and all these guys have gotten hurt and are missing the year, mm-hmm. Sabathia missing the year. He has learned his lesson, and I think he'll go out and get somebody who can start game one in a five-game yep. series. And there, there's probably people that are sitting here thinking, listening to what I just said, and thinking, well, Oakland didn't have anybody that really scared – like, they didn't have that – they had Bartolo Colon, who was having a monster season, who at least was a veteran presence. And then this year, again, they didn't really – you know, they have Kazmir, but they went out and got some Arjun Hamill. They know. I mean, that only works for so long, that smoke and mirrors where, you know, okay, maybe that everybody's just as dangerous as the next guy concept works. But if everybody's just as dangerous as the next guy, but none of them are as dangerous as Adam Wainwright, Hugh Darvish, Cliff Lee, John Lester, David Price, name some National League number ones on playoff teams. It's a little different. It's not quite as as impressive. And I like what you said earlier. You, you can win two ways. You can do the Red Sox approach where everyone is very good, and you have four guys who are very good, and it seems like, oh, we'll, we'll have a worse starter tomorrow night. Oh, no, yeah. never mind. It's John Lackey. He's just yeah. as good. Oh, wait. Felix Dubron ain't starting the series, so right. we're screwed. So you either have that or you have the top two guys are dominant, and mm-hmm. that, that ends up being four games in a series. Yep. The Yankees right now have neither, but – if we're being honest, look at the standings. If the Orioles continue to run away with this, we're talking about a one-game wild card. You need at least one guy to get into the round of Game 5. So, you know, yep. there's going to be somebody. Yeah, and, you know, let's not discourage and disparage. Hiroki Kuroda's pitched very well of late. Brandon McCarthy has had a couple of great starts as a Yankee. Shane Green has been very impressive. 
David Phelps, who I maintain should have been in the rotation the whole time or someone's rotation, AAA. I said at the beginning of the year, I thought, if you're not going to use him in the rotation, your best idea to do is send him down and let him remain a starter. It worked out this year that he ended up coming in. Uh, but when he's consistently in the rotation, he's he's good. He's not great, but he's good. But who do you choose out of that group in that one-game playoff? Who do you choose out of that group when, if you're in that one-game playoff against Baltimore, you know they're going to throw Chris Tillman or maybe Ubaldo Jimenez if he's right. Who do you throw in that one-game playoff against the Angels if it's C.J. Wilson or Jared Weaver? Who do you throw in that one-game playoff against the Mariners if they make it? If it's King Felix, who do you throw in that one-game playoff against X if it's pitcher Y? It's it's just down the line, it's the worst option. Yeah. No matter who you look at, it's it's the worst set of options. And two of those teams you mentioned, by the way, well, one, really. The, the Orioles are still struggling with the same problem they had. Right. They, for some reason refuse to go out and spend on an ace. Maybe this will be the year they do it. They need to. Maybe they thought they did with Jimenez. They I, knew. Abaldo Jimenez, his best days were behind him. He was an ace in Colorado. Closest thing they've had to an ace in two decades. But uh, That or, and or Chris Till. I mean, you know, maybe they have their thinking. I mentioned them, and I failed to mention the Blue Jays because, you know, the Orioles do lead the division right now. But uh, same thing with the Blue Jays. Mark Burley, R.A. Dickey. I mean, you know, it's... It's not none, the most impressive set of options. None of these teams really have terrific pitching, now that I'm thinking about it, but... They Garrett, have a guy. They have a guy. And Garrett Richards might be the guy in mm-hmm. Los Angeles. Yeah. He, he's better than anybody. I mentioned have. Wilson and Weaver because they're the two aces, but he's having the best season of all. Right. Yeah. That's o- three guys, though. You know, Oakland... Three. Oakland, you know, Oakland, you got to figure, even if they don't win the division, though, you could be in a one-game playoff. They've now got Samarja and Hamill and everybody on down the line. It's... It, they, it's what they need. Oakland's pitching is ridiculous. Yeah, it's Kazmier, what they need. Sonny Gray. Tommy Malone wants a trade because he's all of a sudden went from, yep. you know, peace to, well, we don't need you this year. And when everybody comes back next year, we're not going to really need you either. So, you know. Next week, let's do a full-blown, full-blown trade, deadline. trade deadline special. Absolutely. We might do a, a, a video edition. We're, we've got a lot of things in the works. Mm-hmm. We don't want to spoil too much for you, but it's going to be an interesting week next week for the Yes Men, and then I'll be away for the majority of the first half of August, so um, you will have to live without me, Doug. I'll be all right. Yeah, you'll be fine. Um, Yeah, next week we will see where where we're at. We'll be 24 to 36 hours out of the deadline, depending on where we tape, and when we tape on Wednesday, Tuesday, whenever it happens to be. Or we could do it Thursday. We could do it Thursday. Listen, I, you're, I, I don't want to spoil this. You never know. You're on the edge of your seat. You're on your tiptoes. And you're just going to have to wait until next week to find out what we're going to do because that's going to do it for this edition of the Yes Men. As always, I'm Lou. He's Doug. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes if you haven't already. Tweet at us, at Doug Williams, yes, at Lou DiPietro, yes. You can use the excuse, might not know how to spell my name, but if you don't know how to spell Doug Williams, you should probably get off Twitter. So you can tweet at us and let us know how we're doing. And until next week when we have something for you that we're not going to disclose, just have to wait. And we'll see you then. Thanks for listening.